This week I had the privilege of going out uh, to Clark Summit University and, uh, and seminary, and I preached uh, to a pastor's enrichment day and then chapel on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And Clark Summit is a small Bible college and seminary located in the uh, Pocono Mountains of uh, northeastern Pennsylvania. And they just had their largest snowfall in recorded history last week. Two to three feet of snow. Aren't you jealous? Yeah, look at, just look at, it was beautiful out there. Just, just absolutely beautiful. Now, Clark Summit, like I said, is located in northeastern Pennsylvania. And, and I flew in and out of the Wilkes-Barre um, Scranton Airport. And something very interesting about this airport. Well, first of all, everything about this airport was simple and easy. There was no off-site parking, no shuttle to the tram, no tram to the airport, no line at the check-in, no, no line at security, no off-site rental facilities, no rude airport personnel. In other words, it was no O'Hare. It was great, all right? Now, one thing, though, that's not necessarily easy or simple about this airport is where it's located. The airport is located on a mountain ridge. They flattened out the top of a mountain and made it into a runway, and they extended both ends of it by loading up tons of rock and dirt. So there's a 125-foot drop at both ends of the runway as well. So you don't want to go off the sides, and you don't want to go off the ends. Now, the elevation of this mountain ridge airport is, is at 1,000 feet. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that would be like landing on top of the John Hancock Tower minus the antennas. So just kind of think of it that way, height-wise. Most airports on the East Coast are much closer to the sea level. JFK in New York is at 12 feet. LaGuardia is at 21 feet. Philadelphia, 36 feet. Newark is at 17 feet. Wilkes-Barre Scranton Airport is at 1,000 feet, okay? So this is a mountaintop runway, which means it is a very windy runway, and it can be extremely turbulent flying in and flying out. So you've got to fasten your seatbelt and hold on. Listen, becoming a Christian is a mountaintop experience. Amen. There is nothing like the sheer joy, nothing compares to the ecstasy of experiencing God's amazing grace for the very first time. But I want to tell you something. It comes with turbulence. And don't ever forget that. It is not easy to live for the Lord. It is not easy being a Christian in this world. You and I need to understand the importance of fastening on our seatbelt, and hanging on. And that's Peter's advice to the Christians in the book of 1 Peter. Fasten your seatbelt, okay, because turbulence. And, 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 uh, and, and you may say, wait a minute, I remember that. That was from a long time ago. This, what were we doing 1 Peter a long time ago? Well, you know what? Sometimes you have a long layover before you take off again, Okay. And so, just to understand, we've had a long layover, and it's time to take off again. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, as we renew our study in the book of 1 Peter. And my wife was so glad, she's like, I don't have to look at another emoji on you. <laughs> 1 Peter, 1 Peter, just by way of review. 1 Peter is written to Christians who are facing persecution. They're facing suffering for their faith. And very soon, Emperor Nero is going to unleash this immense hatred toward Christians. There's going to be physical torture and great persecution and slander and all kinds of suffering is going to take place for Christians living in the world. Now, listen carefully. 
We live in a nation that is growing less and less friendly toward believers. You and I need to be prepared for hostilities to increase as our religious freedoms decrease. Christians are seen more and more as enemies of of our society. And we are labeled as such by many leaders and people in this nation. You and I need to understand the importance of fastening our spiritual seatbelts and preparing for turbulence. Preparing for suffering. And this is Peter's instruction when it comes to suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, what? Keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of God and a glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if someone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. But is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first... What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So how are you going to handle the turbulence when it comes to your life for being a Christian? How are you going to handle suffering, no matter what form it takes, no matter what shape it arises in? How are you going to handle that when people find out you're a Christian and they don't like it? Whether it's a spouse or an ex-spouse or a neighbor or a co-worker or a boss or a a classmate or a teammate. How are you going to handle it when they go after your faith? They say things about you or they do things to you. That's what Peter's going to teach us. Number one is this. You suffer expectantly. It's not to be a surprise. He says, beloved. He says, Christians, I'm talking to you. Beloved, you are God's family. Beloved, this is a term of endearment. You are loved. Don't ever doubt your love no matter what suffering you go through. Don't ever doubt the love of God no matter what turbulence you face. You are still loved. Beloved, but suffering should be no surprise. Do not be surprised, he says, at the fiery ordeal among you. Now, now, expect tribulation. Jesus to his disciples in John 16. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. We don't often claim that promise, do we? Expect persecution. Paul to young Timothy. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul to the Philippian church. Philippians 1. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experience the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And John to believers in 1 John 3. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world what? Hates you. So expect hatred, expect suffering, expect persecution, expect tribulation. And by the way, he says it's a fiery ordeal. Doesn't that sound pleasant? 
In other words, it's going to be painful. It's going to get hot at times. It's going to be hurtful at times to be a Christian and live out your faith in this world. Some of you here today, we have this idea that it's supposed to be comfortable to be a Christian. That's the lie of the enemy. It's not going to be comfortable at times. It's going to be hard to live for Jesus Christ. It's going to be hard to believe in him and claim his truths. It's going to be hard to take a stand for him and not go the way of the world around you and be labeled as a bigot and be labeled as a hater and be labeled as whatever else you will be labeled. It will be hard and you need to expect it to be hard. The question is, why do they hate us so much? Why does this world hate us so much? Well, for one reason, Christians are the conscience of the culture. We are the conscience of the culture. We remind this world there is a right and there is a wrong. We remind this world the difference between good and evil, and we label it as such. We remind this world of sin. And you know what? They're uncomfortable in their sin when they are around us because it brings conviction. And they don't want to be uncomfortable in their sin. They want to enjoy their sin. And they don't want to feel conviction. They want to feel comfort. Jesus, to his disciples, gave another reason. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would what? Oh, they would love you. You'd be one of them. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, praise God. Because of this, the world what? It hates you. You are not of this world. You're in the world, but not of it. You are different. And that is why this world hates you. It should come as no surprise, verse 12 again, this fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. So there is purpose behind the pain. There is purpose behind this pain you and I will face in this world living for Jesus Christ. I want you to understand, it it tests the quality of who we are. It it also matures us as believers. Romans 5.3, not only this, but we exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. It makes us tougher. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. It puts our hope where it should be, on God and God alone. See, see, I want you to understand. You know what God does? He practices controlled burns. You ever gone to a, a, gone to a park around here? And you see, see them burning the grass or burning the underbrush. Or, you know, they do it in national parks and, and uh, they do it in local forest preserves. They, they burn all the undergrowth that stagnates the growth and they remove all of the weeds. And, and they burn this undergrowth because it, pr- it promotes rejuvenation and it restores nutrients. That's exactly what the trials of this world do. It's a controlled burn in your life. God is saying, I'm going to let a fire come into your life of tribulation that's going to help get rid of some of the weeds that have been growing. And not only that, it's going to restore some nutrients so that your faith is enriched. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a renewed vibrancy in your prayer life because of that trial. Because you haven't been praying like really you should be praying. And all of a sudden, now you're on your knees and you're passionate with your God. And you're seeking his promises in his word. And you're growing in your faith. See, those controlled burns are important in a Christian's life. It's going to get rid of the weeds. 
And it's going to help us sink our roots deep in our faith as we hold on to God. So you can thank God for the trials and the tribulations that come in this world. 1 Peter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the proof of your faith. So it tests the authenticity of who we are. Listen, phonies will fail the test of fire. They're not going to make it. It It will prove whether we are true believers in Jesus Christ or not. There are those among us right now, and next service, and tonight's service, you're a phony. You're not a true believer in Jesus Christ. You may even bring your Bible and sing along with the songs, but you have not repented of your sins and called on God. You know what the fire of persecution does? It proves you're a phony. Why is that? It proves your rocky soil. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 13. The one on whom seed was sown, that's the word of God is being sown, on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I go to harvest. Yes, I believe in God. Yes, I was even baptized. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, where is he? He's gone. He's fallen away. Persecution has always been good for the church. Always been good. It reveals the phonies from the true faithful. 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not what? Of us. Not everybody who says they're a Christian and is in church this morning is a true believer in Jesus Christ. And when the fire comes, you will leave. The true faithful stay faithful to Jesus Christ. How do you handle the turbulence and suffering of this life? You suffer expectantly. Number two, you suffer joyfully. Joyfully. That just seems crazy. How can I take joy in this? Look at verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Now, he starts off by saying, but to to the degree that you share the suffering. So there are different degrees of suffering. Not all Christians suffer the same way. We see this in Hebrews 11, 35. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts, mountains, caves, holes in the ground, all kinds of different afflictions and sufferings and persecutions out there. Now, we have it pretty easy in America. How dare a Christian in this country complain about persecution? How dare we complain how bad it is and how hard it is to be a Christian in America? (laughs) Why don't you move to the Middle East or Africa 
or Asia. In Asia, they're arrested for home Bible studies. Confiscate your Bible. Jail you. I mean, in the Middle East, you're going to lose your head. Literally. They'll chop it off. Decapitate you. They'll burn you. You'll be shot. And what's the response? Verse 13, it is a privilege to suffer for Jesus. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, even to the smallest degree, it is a privilege to share with Jesus. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Rejoice is what he says here, and keep on rejoicing. And not complain and whine how hard we have it. Not cry how, how life is so unfair. Not curse God and curse others because what we are facing. But rejoice. And he says, keep on rejoicing and may rejoice with exaltation. And then he'll say, you are blessed. Four different ways. He makes it very clear. This is what they did in Acts chapter 5 verse 40. The apostles as they were flogged. And as they left, they went on their way from the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. So so we're to rejoice now, look at verse 13, and rejoice later. So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. Listen, one day you will behold the son of the living God with your own eyes. One day you will behold God in all of his glory. Indescribable glory, unmatched majesty will be revealed to you. Unspeakable. And what it brings is unspeakable joy. He says here, you may rejoice at that day with exaltation. In other words, what we suffer now is less than the pain of a gnat bite that you got last summer. And you don't even remember getting bit by a gnat last summer. Any pain, any suffering that you face in this life will be washed away in the presence and glory of the revelation of your great God. Pure joy erases all pain. The true ultimate fulfillment of the words to this song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim, say it, in the light of his glory and grace. Joy now and joy later. How do you handle this turbulence, this suffering? You suffer expectantly and you suffer joyfully and you suffer gratefully. Again, this privilege to suffer. Look at verse 14. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, it means if you're insulted by your, by your spouse because you're a believer and they're not, if you're condemned by some coworker or boss, if you're berated by a neighbor, if you're criticized by some stranger on social media, if you're verbally abused by a classmate or a teammate because you're a Christian, he says here, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, meaning the name of Christ because you believe in Jesus and you live for Jesus and you serve Jesus and you tell others about Jesus, he says you are blessed. You are favored in the eyes of God and you are favored by God. Their reviling is your blessing. Matthew 5. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because you're a Christian. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Luke 6, blessed are you when men hate you, ostracize you, insult you, scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad, and in that day, leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, their fathers used to treat the prophets. 1 Peter, the last chapter, chapter 3, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are what? You're blessed. And then he goes on and he says, it's not just blessed because of God's favor and God's reward that will be coming to you. But he says in verse 14, you're blessed because of the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests on you. Listen, there is something very, very special about you. And there is very, something very, very different about you compared to the people, the rest of the people on this planet. Now, I want to know who here went on a cruise this past winter. Anybody here go on a cruise? Raise your hand if you went on a cruise. Okay, there's somebody over there. Anybody else go to a cruise? Anybody head south to Florida? Anybody go down to Florida, get some sun down in Florida? Yeah, okay. Now, everybody who raise your hand, everybody else look at those people with a mean face. Oh, don't you just hate that? Oh, man, posting your pictures, beach pictures on social media, coming back all tan with the glory of the Caribbean radiating from your body. Listen, Christian, you have the glory of the Holy Spirit radiating from you. People don't like it. You are special. You are different than this world. 1 John 2, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. The rest of the world doesn't have the anointing of God on them. You have the anointing of God's glory and the Holy Spirit upon you. That is unbelievable is what that is. Now, now the same glory and the same God that rested and filled the tabernacle and the temple, the Shekinah glory of God, the same glory, the same God rests on you, indwells you. You are indwelt by the third person of the trinity try to wrap your head around that think about that for a moment your body is the temple of the holy spirit first corinthians three sixteen. do you not know that you are a temple of god that the spirit of god what dwells in you first corinthians 6 you, do you not know your body is that is a temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have from God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. We are the temple of the living God. 2 Timothy 3, through the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us. I mean, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, in him after, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, say it with me, You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. All that is to come for all eternity in heaven. You've been sealed in him. You are indwelt by him. You are like no other people on this planet. That's how blessed you are. That's how special you are to God that he has actually indwelt you and sealed you. For the day of redemption. Man are you blessed. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Don't worry about what this world says. And how they treat you. You are blessed. 
You suffer expectantly and you suffer joyfully and you suffer gratefully. And next you suffer shamelessly. There is no shame in suffering for Jesus Christ. Verse 15. Make sure that no one suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome you know, meddler. In other words, listen, suffer as a Christian in this world, not a criminal. There's too many Christians given the name Christ a bad name. Okay? If you're going to suffer in this world, you suffer for the right reasons. You dare not murder somebody or steal or be a busybody, a troublemaker, a gossip, a slanderer. I mean, if you are known at work as a gossiper instead of a Christian, you're ruining the testimony of Christ. If you're known on social media as a whiner and a complainer instead of a faithful man or woman of God, you're damaging the cause of Christ. He's saying if you're going to suffer, you make sure you suffer as, as a Christian, not a criminal or a troublemaker. And then he says, listen, verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed. No shame in suffering for the name. Our name represents his name. I am a Christian. I follow Christ. Our names are connected. Christian means a Christ one, belonging to Christ. I belong as a Christian to Christ. I am his. Is he happy with how you're living your life? Since you wear his name. Everywhere you go. Everyone you meet. You know, I I have a concern with my kids. They they have the Poling name. Okay? It's an ancient Chinese name, Poling. Um, No, it's not. (laughs) Anyway. I mean, I want to make sure they represent the family name well. God wants to make sure you're representing the family name well. You're a Christian. Represent him well. By the way, the term Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Only three. Acts 11.26. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That was a derogatory usage, by the way. Acts 26.28. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian? And then the last time is here in 1 Peter 4, 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed. So there's no shame. Don't be embarrassed. Don't hide your head. Don't walk around humiliated because you're a Christian. As Paul writes in Philippians 1.20, According to my earnest expectation and hope, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by what? Life or by death. 2 Timothy 1.12 for this reason, I also suffer these things, but, if I, but, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. No shame whatsoever. Remain dignified and remain proud to suffer for Jesus Christ. God was not ashamed to suffer for us. We should never be ashamed to suffer for him. What do we do? We glorify him. The end of verse 16. Glory, but is, but is to glorify God in his name. So you turn persecution into a positive. It's an opportunity to show that your faith is real, that you are authentic. You are not rocky soil. I'm a real Christian. I expect suffering, and God's going to see me through it. It's an opportunity to grow and mature, to send those roots down deep again. 
It's an opportunity to testify for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. We're afflicted in every way, not crushed. Perplexed, not despairing. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So glorify him and dare not hang your head. Next, suffer humbly. Look at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will become the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Now listen to this. Judgment is coming to everyone. We are going to be judged. The world is going to be judged. Everybody's going to be judged. Do you know what he's saying, Peter? Our time is now. Bring it on. Judgment starts with us. We go first. In other words, here's a chart for you. Our judgment is now. On earth, temporary pain and discomfort, and our judgment is given by the world around us. They let us have it. But the world's judgment is future. It's before the great white throne, Revelation chapter 20. There is eternal torment, and their judgment is by who? Almighty God. Which judgment would you rather have? You're blessed, Christian. I'll take door number one, please, any day. Any day. Paul says, bring it on. The world's going to be judged, and I'm not a part of that judgment. I'm all good with that. I'm all good with that. Put it in perspective. Everybody's going to be judged. Your judgment is now, is what Paul says. Prepare for it. Now, there's two questions in verse 17 and 18. What will become, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So what will become of those who don't obey the gospel of God? Who reject their only hope of God, in God. Their only hope of heaven. And the next one in verse 18, what will become of the godless man? That's someone without God in his life. And the sinner, that is someone bound in their sin, living in their sin, controlled by sin, loving their sin. What's going to become of those people? Here's some answers for you in Scripture. In other words, the world is in serious trouble. Proverbs 11:31. If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Matthew 13:41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into a furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Second Thessalonians 1. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in, in his saints on that day. And to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Revelation 20, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown where? Into the lake of fire. Listen, if you are here today without Jesus Christ, 
you just saw your future. You need to understand this. Unless you repent and turn from your sin, there is no hope. If you turn from the gospel, the only good news out there, that God can rescue you in your sin and save you from your sin and love you and forgive you. If you turn from this gracious God, you turn to judgment. He is either your savior or he is your judge. You need to understand that. I beg you to call out to God to ask him to save you. At the end of the message here, I will lead you in a prayer of salvation where you can call out in faith. No more playing games, rocky soil. No more playing games that you're a Christian when you're not. Your your soul hinges where it's going to go based on your decision for Jesus Christ. Listen up, young people raised in Christian homes. Don't play games. You need to repent of your sin. You, you, You cannot get into heaven on the coattails of your parents or your grandparents. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And you must make a decision for Jesus Christ. Make the decision and choose God's grace, not God's judgment. Now, there's an interesting phrase here he uses in verse 18. With difficulty that the righteous is saved. What does that mean? With difficulty. Well, more than likely it means the suffering that we must be willing to face if we follow Jesus. The obstacles we must be willing to overcome if we trust in Jesus Christ. A similar thought in Matthew 10. Don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth, Jesus said. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I came to send a man against his father and a daughter-in-law against her daughter against her or a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his what? His own household. I mean, that is the stark contrast of following Jesus Christ. People will not like you. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You must choose God as number one. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he has lost his life for my sake. What? I'll find it. I'll never forget the day that I found life back in 1985. I found what life was really all about when I came to Christ. How do you handle turbulence and suffering in this life? You suffer expectantly, joyfully, gratefully, shamelessly, humbly, and finally you suffer confidently. Confidently. Look at verse 19. Beautiful verse. Therefore, those who suffer, those also who suffer according to the will of God, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now, he says here, suffering is God's will according to the will of God. So, so remember the controlled burn. He's going to get rid of those weeds in our life through through suffering. The nutrients to faith are going to help us grow. God is in control. God is sovereign. And here is the right response to suffering. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what's right. Say that with me. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now, he says, God is trustworthy. So trust him. And continue to trust him. Listen carefully. You entrusted your soul to him for salvation. Entrust your soul to him in suffering. If you can trust him for salvation, you can trust him during suffering. You entrusted your soul to him for heaven. Entrust your soul to him while on earth. 
You've believed in him for heaven. Believe in him on earth. You've entrusted your soul to him for all eternity. Entrust your soul to him for the short span of this life. Entrust your soul to him. You did it for salvation. You did it for heaven. You've done it for all eternity. Now do it for the suffering here on earth for this short time you are here. And entrust means deposit. It's a banking term is what it is. You you entrust your money to a bank. Yeah, you trust the bank more than God? Give me a break. Well, it's FDIC. Oh, so you trust the government more than God? What are you doing? Come on now, entrust your soul to him. You got to start banking with God, brother. You got to start saying, God, I'm tired of withdrawing from you. I'm going to start entrusting you. We've got too many Christians withdrawing. Well, I don't know if I can trust God. What are you doing? Entrust your soul to his care. You have nothing to fear when you deposit your life into God's hands. And it's an ongoing, everyday, entrusting your life into God. You wake up in the morning and you entrust your life to him. You deposit your life into his hands. No matter what is going to happen today, I am depositing. I am entrusting my life to you, God. Don't withdraw. Every day, I'm entrusting. I'm entrusting. I'm entrusting. This is what the Lord Jesus did. Luke 23, 46, he cried out with a loud voice from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. I entrust my soul, my life, my body to the Father. 1 Peter 2, 23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept what? Entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Don't withdraw and trust. See, see, God is trustworthy. Trust him. Next, God is faithful. Trust him. It says here, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. I, I mean, we've sung of his faithfulness for generations. I mean, this great old hymn, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, what? They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Say it with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And not only have we sung it for generations, God's people have read it for thousands of years. Lamentations 3. Say this with me. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Knows no limits. Psalm 36, 5. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. I cannot see the end of God's faithfulness. It never ends. It never ends. It's undeniable faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. That's how faithful our God is. It's even his name. Revelation 19.11. I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called what? 
faithful and true. It's his character. It is who your God is. He is faithful. And he's the faithful creator. He made you. He sustains you every single day, giving you breath. You can't live without God's enablement. He provides for you. He cares for you. Psalm 119, his hands made me and fashioned me. Psalm 139, he formed my inward parts and wove me in my mother's womb. Matthew 10, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. It's easier for God to do it on some than others. Uh, So do not fear. Do not fear. He's trustworthy, trust him. He's faithful, trust him. And then he ends, he's good, trust him. He always does what's right. I I want you to understand this. Has God ever made a mistake? Answer. Has God ever made a mistake in time? Answer. Has God ever made a mistake in time or eternity? Wow! Why do you think he's going to start with you? Some of you think God's going to make a mistake here with you. He's never made a mistake. He's not going to start with you. As a matter of fact, Romans 8.28, we know that God causes what? All things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this is how you handle turbulence. This is how you handle the sufferings of this life. Say it with me. Suffer expectantly, joyfully, gratefully, shamelessly, humbly, and suffer confidently.